Hi, this is Ben Lowell with Back to the Bible Canada and Dr. John Newfeld. Today we continue our Back to the Bible Canada 60th anniversary series with Theodore Epp and Dr. John Newfeld with a message entitled Dead to Sin, found in Romans 6. Now, John, one of the things that I wanted to mention is an observation I've made is that the Word of God really doesn't change, and that's evident in your teaching and Theodore Epps' teaching. Yeah, I love his teaching, and I went through his Romans 6 series, and, and it, was, it was fascinating to listen to. And, you know, I know that I say things a little bit differently, but the, but the, the truths that we bring out are exactly the same truths. So it really is the same Bible, and no matter when it's taught, that's, that's uh, clear to me. Thanks so much, John. We look forward to hearing more from you. But right now, let's join Theodore Epps. Now then, to begin with, as he closes the fifth chapter in Romans, he makes a tremendous statement. In the last half of the 20th verse of the fifth chapter, he says this, But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And suddenly, I think that uh, Paul had possibly realized the statement that had been made, of course, the Holy Spirit made it, but the statement that had been made could be used as a license to sin. Well, if then I sin, and that means that there will be more grace abounding, then why not sin so that we'll see more grace? He uses a hypothetical case here. And thus he begins the sixth sixth chapter with that tremendous question. His question is, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Let me pause for a moment on that word sin. The word sin is used 13 times in this sixth chapter of Romans. But he's not talking about the sins that I commit. Stealing, lying, so on, so on. He's talking about the sin nature which I possess. The old nature that I received through Adam. What he's actually saying, and let me give you my translation of it then. What shall we then say? Shall we continue to be dominated by the sin nature in order that grace may abound? It's the old nature in me that causes me to sin. If I didn't have the old nature, I wouldn't sin. Some people talk about the eradication of the old nature. Well, they're fooling themselves, (laughs) but let's not discuss that now. But I wanted you to see this word sin. So he asks this question, shall we continue to be dominated by the old sinful nature in order that grace may abound? After asking this hypothetical question, he throws in a bombshell in verse 2 and makes a statement and takes the rest of the chapter to explain that statement. The statement that he makes is this, God forbid... In the original, that is a very strong word. This is a very mild word in the English. It's an explosive word. Why he says it's physically, literally impossible. It's impossible. Why? Because he says in the next part of the verse, How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? I need to pause again. And in the King James, we have the present tense used, are dead. I'm not dead. 
who says, I thought you were dead to sin. I died to sin. It's always past tense. If you'll keep that in mind, it'll help us. I'm alive today unto God. I died. I was buried and I rose. Jesus Christ is not dead. Some worship the crucifix, the dead Christ. All the other religions worship a dead God. We have a living God. We are living today. We have died to sin, but we are alive unto God. So the translation there should be, how shall we that have died to sin, that is to the old sin nature, how shall we then live any longer therein? Why well, he says that's as impossible as impossible can be. How can Israel, who are now on the other side of the Red Sea and who have died to Egypt, live any longer in Egypt? Well, it's a physical impossibility. Some of them wanted to go back later on, if you remember their history, try to choose themselves a ruler and go back and so on, but God says nothing to do it. They're not going back. They can't go back because I have taken you out of there. So here you have a statement of fact. We have died to sin. He says, how shall we then live any longer therein? How then is it possible? So with these two, with this question and this statement now, let's look into what, he's, what he wants us to know as to how we can overcome and have victory over the sinful nature that is in us. You have it, I have it, we all have it. And it wants to dominate us. But do you realize that the old sinful nature in me cannot sin unless it uses the various members of my body through which to sin? You see, the old nature is not a person, not a body. It's a nature. It's that which wants to dominate me. It wants to dominate my feet to take me where I don't want to go. My eyes to see things that I don't want to see. My ears to hear things I ought not to hear. My tongue to say things I ought not to say. My heart to love things I ought not to love. It has to use the members of my body in order to fulfill its sin. Its sinful nature, its sinful lust. So now, having made this statement, we've died to it. Now he comes with the next verses from verse 3 to 10 to explain what he means. And he appeals, first of all, to our mind. Then he appeals to the heart. Then he appeals to the will. Let's take a quick look at the mind. Three, four times in this chapter now, he uses the word know. Know something. Use your brain. Put your thinker into gear. Get the facts. You cannot act intelligently until you get the facts. I remember when power steering was first introduced. I said, nothing doing. I don't want power steering. I was afraid that if something happened, the fan belt flew off or something, uh, I would go in a ditch. You see, I didn't know the facts. Now I wouldn't be without it. But you see, I know the facts now. I know how it works. So he says, no. Beginning with verse 3, I'll read two verses. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Therefore we are buried uh, with him in, by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. 
Four times he uses the word no. In verse 3, in verse 6, in verse 9, and in verse 16. We'll just look at the first three. The first fact he wants us to know is that something happened when I was born again. Something really happened. Not just that I felt good. That feeling was possibly the result if you felt good. That was a result of what happened. But what really happened? He says, don't you know that when you were saved, that's what he's talking about, or when you were baptized into Christ Jesus, and by the way, this, word, this baptism here is not water baptism. Water baptism is a symbol thereof, but there's only one baptism, and that's when the Spirit of God baptizes us into Christ, and the word baptize means identifies us with Christ. To give you an illustration again back in Israel. 1 Corinthians 10 verses 1 and 2 says that the people of Israel were baptized unto Moses. Now, how could they be baptized unto Moses? Now, what it means is they were identified unto Moses. As long as they were in Egypt, they were identified with Egypt. They got what the Egyptians gave them. Anything they needed, anything they wanted, they'd have to go to the Egyptians. But now they were separated from the Egyptians, and they were separated unto God, but God wasn't going to come down there with a, with a spoon and feed them with a spoon personally. He had Moses for that purpose. And Moses was to be the intercessor, the mediator, the type of Christ. And everything after that that they were to receive, they were to receive from Moses. Or through Moses, I should say. From God, through Moses. And especially when you note that they were taken out into the desert. No grocery stores out there, so they, where were they going to get their food? No department stores out there, where were they going to get their clothing? The sun was hot as hot could be. How were they going to shade themselves? No water, no rivers, no wells, no nothing. How were they going to get water? Everything that they needed, they would get from God through Moses. They were identified with Moses. Baptized unto Moses. We have been identified with Jesus Christ so that once we are born again, we have everything we need, everything we, we have, we have through Christ Jesus. He's our mediator between us and the Father. So he says, you, were, you died with him, you were baptized unto, uh, in, into his death. You died with him. God saw us as having died with Jesus Christ, having been buried and having been raised. As far as God was concerned, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he potentially saw you and me, having died with Jesus Christ. We're so grateful for the incredible support Back to the Bible Canada received during the Believe campaign in December. Your generosity has positioned the ministry well for the beginning of 2018. As you know, the key verse for the campaign was John chapter 1, verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. This verse represents the heart of this ministry. Bible teaching that draws people of all ages and backgrounds into a deeper walk and standing in Christ. In 2018, we celebrate 60 years of ministry in Canada. It couldn't have happened without you, so we extend our most sincere thanks. And keep an ear open for all the upcoming special activities, programs, and events that will take place throughout the year. For more information and to support the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit Back to the Bible 
www.ca. Theodore has pointed out that Paul repeatedly uses the word know in the beginning of Romans 6. Verse 3, do you not know? Verse 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him. And verse 9, we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. And then the knowing turns to reckoning in verse 11. So you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. That's to say, what you must know then turns into a reasoning process, a process that leads us to come to a very important conclusion based on what we now know. So the new reality is that upon conversion, sin no longer is a power that can demand your obedience. And it's this very new reality that needs to invade our thinking. But my brother and sister in Christ, you might ask, then why do I struggle with sin the way that I do? And and why do I keep falling into the same sin? I mean, if sin is rendered powerless in the believer, and yet why is it that sin seems to be just as powerful as it was before? So does that mean that I've never been born again, or is there something deeply wrong with me? Now, as we continue to read Romans, Chapter 7, the Apostle Paul is going to give a a very detailed description of his own struggle. But even in chapter 6, verse 12, he says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. So that would assume that there needs to be a constant and a persistent watchfulness against sin, which also means that the struggle with sin is going to continue as long as we live. So how then do we reconcile these two very important realities? First, that the believer must know that they're dead in sin and begin to reason on that basis and that the believer must constantly fight to win the battle against sin. See, the answer is that that sin is still a force tempting you that is in your members or in your flesh. I mean, think of the flesh as habitual patterns ingrained in your body And like any habitual pattern, unless we guard against them, the habit simply will rule our lives. Think also that this is what remains from the body that was born into sin. But think also that this is exactly Paul's point, that sin no longer has authority over you. I know that some of us have problems with that because that doesn't seem to square with our experience. But you need a new way of thinking. Look at it this way. Imagine that you're a slave and your master is cruel and demands you do terrible things. One day you receive a proclamation of emancipation. You're now free. Now your old master shows up and demands your obedience and his voice sounds as authoritative as ever and you've learned a habit of cowering every time he speaks. Now before you can break that habit, you need to learn of and deeply internalize your emancipation. For until you internalize that, you'll never be able to live in the freedom that has now been given to you. Before you can defeat your old master, go back, read the document of your emancipation, think this way, and reason on the basis of that. So let's go forward. I'm reading now in verses 3 to 4. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, 
we too might walk in newness of life. So what Paul speaks about is a picture of a new spiritual reality. Theologians call this an ontological truth. So that means it's a great and grand and objective truth. Now, while it's necessary that we experience the truth and deeply and personally encounter this truth into our subjective, everyday, experiential reality, and yet, notwithstanding, this thing is still true. It's true regardless of what you feel. Conversion is death to sin, and if it's not that, it's nothing. 1 John chapter 3, verse 9 says this using very different image, but the point is the same. John says, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. So here's the point. Either something new is planted in you, or something old was killed in you, or really, it was both. You were buried in baptism, and therefore, you're dead to sin. You were raised in baptism, and therefore, you were raised to a new life. And furthermore, your baptism is your identity card. Have you ever gone to the bank to withdraw money, and you've been asked for an official identity card? So you pull out your driver's license to identify yourself, or, or when you get on an airplane, when you cross a border, you show your passport. So baptism is like that. It states your identity. You're not in Adam. You're in Christ. That's the ontological truth. Once converted, this is true regardless of how you feel. And that's why Paul uses the word know, that is, you've got to know this essential reality of your conversion. So imagine you die in a hospital bed. You know, eventually a medical officer is going to come and sign your death certificate. That signifies you're dead. Now, again, to be clear, your death certificate did not kill you. Rather, it signifies that you are dead in the same way. Outward physical baptism is merely a certificate indicating what's happened inside of you. Now, let's go to verses 5 to 7. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know, there is the word, that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, when my Bible says the old self, the literal Greek reading says the old man. It states it in the masculine. See, modern translators translate that word with the word self to show that it's true of both men and women. Now, that's right, but I fear that we miss something here. The phrase, the old man, is a way of describing our lives represented by Adam, who is the old man. When he was our representative head, we were dominated by sin. But in conversion, we're no longer united with Adam. Rather, we're united with Christ. Now, let me see here if we can repeat Paul's thoughts. Conversion, so Paul tells us, means death. We die with Christ, and that's got to mean at least three things. First, it's got to mean that our sin nature has been killed. Our old self really was crucified. Something fundamental to who you were has died in your conversion. Second, the power of sin to control you has also been broken. Verse 6 says that the body of sin has been brought to nothing. The body of sin refers to the rule of sin that's in your flesh. Sin's authority over you has been broken, and as Paul is going to explain, the natural result of that is that we progress in sanctification and holiness. 
And therefore, thirdly, here's the glorious truth. Listen, before we were in Christ, sin could demand your allegiance. I mean, that's what Paul means in chapter 7 when he says, it's no longer I who do it, but sin living in me. Sin has the power to demand obedience in the unbeliever. But once the new birth occurs, that's no longer the case. Now, sin has lost its legal power to demand your obedience. Let's reread verse 7. For one who has died has been set free from sin. So I want you to imagine what it must have felt like for the African slaves at the end of the U.S. Civil War. A new law now replaced a previous law. It was now illegal for one man to own another. I mean, prior to that, the South had passed a law mandating that anyone who came upon a fleeing slave, that they were bound by law to do all in their power to capture that fleeing slave. All laws until the proclamation of the emancipation of slaves determined that you would never be released. But now, what was once mandated by law was now prohibited by law. And yet, as we know from history, that did not mean that blacks in the United States would instantly become the president. I mean, a great struggle remained, but that struggle was now fought on completely different ground. See, the law had changed, and for the first time, it was possible to win the war against slavery. You were now dead to slavery, but alive to freedom. Now, imagine the old slave owner comes back, and he, and he demands that you submit to him. You hear his voice, and everything in you wants to cringe. I mean, how can I fight against him? But something ontological has changed. The law of sin and death has been broken. That's why we find Paul repeating the word no as often as he does. Do you not know, he asks. So, my dear brother and sister in Christ, can you grasp this magnificent truth? You have encountered a change of status. Will you embrace the fact that in Christ you have died to sin? I mean, will you truly begin to pray, dear Lord, help me to understand what's happened to me. Help me to understand that the law has changed. I've died to sin. I'm alive to God. Thanks so much today, John and Theodore, for some great messages. Remember to join us again tomorrow for more of our 60th anniversary series and celebrate with us by asking for this series on CD for yourself for free by calling 1-800-663-2425 or backtothebible.ca. Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. Sixty years of Bible teaching ministry in Canada is what we're celebrating in 2018. For that reason, we're launching a number of special events and activities throughout the year to celebrate God's faithfulness. We begin this month by airing a new series featuring both founder Theodore Epp and Bible teacher Dr. John Newfeld. It's a special series for a number of reasons. First, the consistency of the messages from both men hold the same high standard of teaching you've become confident in. And secondly, there's a wonderful solidarity of mission and passion for the scriptures, the legacy, and vision for the future. As a special gift to you, our friends and supporters, we want to offer this 60th anniversary five-message series on CD as a free gift. All you need to do is contact us today and ask. And to receive more information or support the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada, call 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.com. 
www.cnn.ca.